Welcome to the GM's Corner, a Brewster Baseball Association podcast where we put general managers on the hot seat and try to steal all of their very best secrets. I'm Ron Collins, general manager of the Yellow Springs Nine, and today I have Mike Calvaruso with me. Mike is the general manager of the San Antonio Outlaws, which might well be one of the most snake-bit franchises in the league these days. So this should be absolute great fun. Uh, welcome aboard, Mac, uh, Mike. I'm really uh, glad to get a chance to share some time with you and uh, looking forward to it. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate you having me. Uh, based on the way the team is playing, I, I didn't think anybody in their right mind would want to interview me, but hey, that, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can have secrets that we can use even when things go wrong. Well, here's a, here's a secret. Whatever I'm doing, do the opposite. <laughs> well, you know, I really can't... Um can't completely buy that because, you know, I've been in the league for 10 or 11 years, depending on how you, you cut the information. I look back on San Antonio, and San Antonio, uh, which was Birmingham before you guys moved a little bit ago, has had uh, quite an interesting um, uh, flow, right, when it comes right down to it. I mean, you've won a Landis, yep. you've been in the playoffs, but unlike some other teams where you see a run of four or five, six seasons in the playoffs and then a down period. It's like San Antonio is always, uh, the, the outlaws are always kind of running along at a roughly this 80 win pace. And then about every four to six years, they pop up and they have some great season. And then they go back down into their 80 win thing. And occasionally they'll drop down into 50 or so until this last like three years where you've had a really rough time. So what do you think about that? It's, it's, it's very interesting. Believe me, I've beat my head against the wall quite a few times you think you have things put together. When I first came into the league, I came into the league in our year, 2012. It was the season of 2005 for uh, uh, MBBA or BBA. Took over the team from Weiner, uh, who's now with Rockville, Aaron. And he had actually left me a couple good players. Because, so, as a matter of fact, I went to the playoffs the year after. Uh, he, he's the one that drafted Dexter Sheehan, the, the great catcher so he left me some good players but i right after 2006 i went ahead and did a sort of a tear down and because i I mean a lot of the players were a little older so i needed to start refreshing and that's when i i had some very good drafts and trades ended up getting cal l freddie rigsby and we ended up going and winning the landis in 2015 and i look back at that team and, and I look at a team that had absolute superior hitting and average pitching. I mean, up and down the lineup, I mean, in my opinion, it was a great balance. You had uh, Freddie Rigsby, who could steal any base on the planet leading off. You had Kal-El. You had Dexter Sheehan. You had uh, the great Ashton Fontenot. I was in your top. And then the bottom of my lineup was... Pete McClure, who was just, uh, I think, a rookie or in his second year. He had. Uh, uh, I had not noticed exactly how brilliant Cal L was until earlier today when I was going deep into <laughs> the into the Hall of Fame threads and, and trying to make an uh, assessment of him. His seasons in his early 20s yes. were uh, blisteringly brilliant. Yes. And it did, it did just tail off heavy, it seemed like, because. I agree with you. Uh, early on, it looked like he was just, I mean, Hall of Fame was just a matter of when he decided to retire. It was just, he was just almost unstoppable. 
and then he did just fall off. But I tried to go back to those teams, and I tried to build a team with some balance, but it just hasn't turned out that way. I actually flipped the script for a while and ended up with very good pitching uh, with Ornelas and Ramirez 1-2, which I got to say, I'd have to say that's probably one of the best 1-2 in the league for a long, long time. But not much after that. And then the hitters that I got, I went through a series of some poor drafts, obviously, and, and guys just didn't pan out. And trying to set up for the next year, I would look at guys who had, you know, decent years who bad luck just the next year. I look at a guy like right now is George Bluth. Uh, last year, I mean, for 267 with a 321 on base percentage, 2.4 war, you know, I'm looking at him, I'm going, but as long as he just stays somewhere around that or even just a little lower, you know, he's a very good complimentary player. Well, heck, he's at 207 <laughs> with a 278 on base percentage. I, you know, it's just... That's a frustrating thing, and that's actually really interesting. I, I'd like to get your, your feeling on this because a lot of times when I talk to people and when I think about uh, building a team, you talked about Ramirez and Ornelas as the as the big one-twos. When I was coming into the league, those guys were, were uh, premium pitchers, right? Mm-hmm. I tend to think that a team wins championships with its second-tier players. I would uh, agree. Because almost everybody, it feels like, uh, has two to four guys who you could look at and go, are those are real super players, right? Uh, but it seems like... Uh, it seems to me like when a team is really on a run, they have a good solid chunk of these second-tier players that can just step up and carry a team for three weeks. Yep. Right? They don't have to be the, the big stars. So how do you think of that in relation to San Antonio and where San Antonio has been, especially in these last, say, eight to ten years? Yeah, and, and, and it's the truth because you're right. Every team has the one or two superstar guys or the one or two very good guys. But you can have, and like in my case, you can have, uh, you know, an Antonio Tobias hitting, you know, 300 with 20 some odd home runs in your four hole, and then suddenly you drop down to your six hole, and you got a guy batting 249, 217, 207. You know, it, 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 you've got to have some consistency, consistency up and down the lineup. You got to have your bottom tier to win the Landis. Yeah. You know, it, you've got to have. All the way, you know, up one through nine, you've got to have them doing it, you know, your bottom tier, at least average. And you can really do well when they do, like you say, step up. Yeah. Or I think of some guys um, who are in that um, lower tier even, but they're just super elite in one thing, right? And so if you can find a way to block them out and limit their amount, uh, Stever is fantastic at this, right? I mean, Kyle finds guys... Uh, especially his left-handed system. Yes. If he can find a super-duper left-handed pinch hitter and get him 100 at-bats, as long as he doesn't get 150 at-bats, he's really useful, right? So yep. it's really... Um, talk to me about your injuries, right? Because <laughs> uh, Buckland, Wick are just kind of the latest. Ramirez was maybe the harbinger. I don't know. Uh, is that it, from the outside looking in, it feels like you have just been completely eroded. Does that feel that way? Or is there more to it than that? No, I, I that would probably be a good assessment. It, uh, you know, when Wick came around, he was supposed to be the, uh, I guess the next chain of events after Ramirez or, or Nellis decided to start to, you know, degrade, which they eventually did. But uh, his career, 
he was ace material, and his career so far has been decimated just about with, with the injuries. He just can't seem to stay healthy. Buckland, Buckland has no business being a number one, and he's had to pitch in the number one spot uh, for like the last two and a half years, for the last two years. Mm-hmm. He has no business being in the number one spot. He's, he, he's at best a two, probably more like a three, really. So he's you know he's pitched out of position, and I've just had to fill in as it goes on. I've you know a couple trades down the line that I, I may have traded a pitcher that could have helped me. I traded a pitcher with uh, Aaron in Rockville for Frank Thomas the third a couple of years back. I thought at the time I thought I was at one or two guys away because Ornelas Ramirez they were really there in their prime killing it, and I thought I could use that thumper. And what happens? Thomas has the worst year almost of his career uh goes from like i think it was a 4.3 war to a 1.1 lost 60 points on his batting average it just yeah, and that it, wasn't an injury right that was just a no. straight out of a random occurrence of performance and and I, I scratched my head on that for a long time just i don't understand why i don't know what is made that happen i don't know if there was chemistry with the coach i don't know if he didn't like the ballpark if my ballpark uh you know settings you know i I just don't know it it boggled my mind that he dropped that bad i mean he was a great player and then he he for me just he just kind of fell off i just don't understand it's it's, yeah and that's the beginning of his age decline too but you don't expect him to drop like that that, that, exactly so I, I, it, when you did that, I thought, well, that's a pretty good calculated gamble. And um, yeah. but the key word is gamble in almost yeah. everything that we do right, before it's all said yeah. and done. Yeah, you're right. Um, if there is ever a guarantee of anything, then the game wouldn't be any fun as far as that goes. Except on occasion, you'd like it to be a little more guaranteed than that. <laughs> yeah, it, it would have been nicer. Uh, but yeah, injuries have just not been my friend. Uh, and I went through that uh, back. Uh, in the early 20, you know, like 2011, 2012, 2013, when I had great hitters, and uh, you know some of the other guys, Aaron especially, would tell you that we went through a series to where the team uh, just had nick up, you know, little nitpicky injuries here and there that would just keep us out of the playoffs. Or 2015 was the first year that I really don't think I had any major injury, and the team just blew through the regular season, got into the postseason, and, and hammered it. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, one of the guys at the end, and I think it might have been Aaron, as a matter of fact, made the comment, we always wondered what would happen if, you know, Birmingham would stay healthy, and now we see. That was the Landis year, right? That was Landis year. You are one of my heroes since <laughs> since you can say I've won a Landis, and, and me and my poor little Yellow Springs 9 are, oh, man, you're, are always a bridesmaid. I look at you guys, and I'm like, God, you... you, you it's just weird because you have what I would assume or what it looks to me is all the elements you need. But luck plays a much bigger role than we want to admit. I have all the elements except the hardware, Mike. I have no hardware. <laughs> it's coming, baby. Or, it's coming. or as Fred says, flags fly forever, and I got no flags. <laughs> oh, that's hurtful. That's hurtful. Well, now you've been in the league since 2005 BBA time, right? Mm-hmm. Um you're one of the collection of people who have been around for, for a considerable amount of time. I'd be very interested in your perspective 
of the league and how it's evolved from that time period. We've gone through now two different expansions, different division structures. How do you feel about the overall context of what the league is right now and where it's been? I don't know if I could be any more excited about uh, the league we're in. When I first joined uh, BBA, when I first got into OOTP, you know, I jumped around to a couple of the leagues. I'm a, I'm a baseball geek from birth. I even played uh, down here in Baton Rouge in Louisiana. They had a, an adult baseball league that I played up until I was like 10 years ago until a, an inadvertent slide in the third base decided that I didn't need to play baseball anymore. <laughs> But playing in OOT, playing in BBA has been just a fantastic joy for me, uh, for someone who truly passionately loves baseball, to be uh, in, a, in an environment with other guys who seem to passionately love baseball, and guys who can break it down on many different levels. Uh, the league has grown, and it's grown, in my opinion, the way it should have. It hasn't been forced to grow is grown in a natural state. Uh, there was always going to be a point in time, I thought, where expansion was going to have to happen. With that, there was going to have to be realignment. I, I think uh, I think Matt has done an admirable job at, at running this league, even with all us goofuses that he has to deal with on a daily basis. <laughs> I can't imagine why anyone would think that there's ever any <laughs> conflict in this league. Exactly. You know, you make one bad trade and good Lord. Huh. I was actually interested when I first came into the league, right, the EBA was was there and it was being used as uh, both a fun wing of the fictional aspect of the world, right, and it was also a way to bring GMs, uh, lowly GMs like me in and act as kind of the bullpen. Um, yeah. When did that come in and how did you feel about that? Am I? We had tried, Matt had tried to do that a couple different uh, seasons and could never get enough GMs to come in at the at the right time. There was always one or two guys that wanted to go in and and take the EBA teams, but you know you had two human GMs against the rest of uh, you know the automated GMs, and, and it just didn't seem to work out. It just seemed to be you know, conjointed. Just it just didn't seem to have flow. And you finally got the, the year when you and a few of the other. I mean, I think we had six human GMs. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that year, and it and that's when it it took off, and it made sense to be, uh, I guess, the stepping stone to move in to BBA, uh, see if guys that really wanted to take it and go with it, and if they really enjoyed being in this league. And yeah, I don't know whether it was actually done this way on purpose, but it feels like the EBA was a great escort into the expansion process, right? Because we actually had some GMs who were who were ready to roll, and the players that we could build from without having to completely strip down the existing teams. Um, And so in that way, we almost had a perfect four-team expansion, it felt like to me. And then when we did the two-team expansion with the swaps of having uh, established GMs take over the new teams and newer GMs come into the old teams, I don't know whether that's like Matt having this great master plan or whether he's just the greatest opportunist in the entire world or what, but that really worked well in my mind. I'd probably say a little of both. If I had to guess, I'd probably say he had that in his brain or in his head the whole time, and then it just fell into place at the right moment, and he jumped on it when it finally did, because it did show, the eBay did show that expansion was, it was time, it was necessary, and that it would work. 
so it just turned out great. Now, you mentioned just a little bit ago that you played ball and from Louisiana. Are you born and bred, raised from Louisiana? Is this your, uh, your native hometown, or has it just become your home over time? No, I'm, I'm born and bred down in uh, Baton Rouge, grew up uh, in Baton Rouge. I've lived, uh, I live just outside of Baton Rouge now, but I've you know, lived here all my life. And I think in our earlier conversation, uh, uh, PMs, you talked about that your uh, non-BBA persona is, uh, what, industrial management, industrial... I'm an, I'm an industrial sales engineer. I uh, In Louisiana, we have a tremendous amount of chemical plants, refineries, and so on, and uh, I'm a technical sales... I'm actually, I'm a district sales manager for the state of Louisiana, so I travel a good bit and cover all the, uh, all the chemical plants, refineries, which with the with the rise of oil prices over the last uh, year has gotten quite busy for me. One of the things I love about these GM's Corners is I get to actually meet and talk with the people who are actually playing in the in the league, and it makes me feel better because it makes me feel like I'm not just this uh, unique weirdo, right? <laughs> everyone is everyone has got the same kind of sets of problems. How does this fit into your life? How does your family look at this? They know you're a baseball geek, I would assume, from they bought into that from a long time ago. How does this fit into your life? I'm very lucky. Uh, my wife and I, and my wife, bless her, you know, luckily she was in the coma when I married her. Uh, she she knows I love baseball. She loves baseball, too, so she doesn't give me any problems whatsoever. We're uh, Both our kids uh, are grown and gone, and we have two grandkids. So in the evening, whenever I get back home and I've gone through my reports and, and checked up on my quotes and things like that, I can take my hour in my little office or sitting on the sitting on the recliner in the TV mm-hmm. uh, and, and play and play on you know OTP and play on BBA and, and catch up on how the players are doing it and and try to structure that. So I do take a couple hours almost every night to look at my team. If you're like me, that hour that you spend or whatever, because I, I I'm different, right? I do <laughs> ten minutes here and fifteen minutes here and. 30 minutes here and two minutes here throughout the day because I work at home and I use it as a divergence. Whenever I'm in the middle of writing, because I'm a science fiction writer, right? Whenever I'm in the middle of some place and I get blocked, I just say, well, screw it. I can't figure that out. So I go do something else and they come back and my brain has figured out what the answer is, right? Uh, but anyway, it's kind of a, a refuge from Absolutely. everything else, right? Before it's all said and done. So exactly. It helps you decompress and, and, and relax favorite moment outside of winning a Landis as the Birmingham slash San Antonio general manager? I ask that question to everyone and they come back with, oh, it's when I won the Landis. And I go, well, screw you. I haven't won a Landis. So I want to hear something that's not winning a Landis. Favorite moment. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, I could could truly, I guess now I could look back and say my favorite moment was actually having the email, the instant message come back from Matt saying that I'd been awarded the franchise. <laughs> I uh, like that. It, you know, it was, I was excited because I had kind of looked at the league and, and kind of was playing around and looking at everybody's, their interaction. And when he finally sent me the email uh, and let me know, okay, you, you're, you're the new Birmingham GM. I was, I was all, I was just tickled to death. I even went and told my wife, I'm the new Birmingham GM. She's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, you, you'll understand later. <laughs> I actually completely and 100% <laughs> understand because I was asking myself that question one day, right? I've asked this question to almost everybody that I talk with, right? Favorite moment. And Mm -hmm. I sat there and thought, what would my favorite moment be? And I'm thinking, I think my favorite moment was when I actually signed up for the league and made my little (laughs) announcement. And I mean, just the idea was really cool. Um, 
already you've dropped throughout the history of the Birmingham San Antonio franchise several names. Mm-hmm. I want you to narrow it down to one name, your absolute favorite outlaw player of all time. Dexter Sheehan. Why? Because not only was he probably the best player I've actually had been able to GM, uh, he just he embodied the team. He was the captain. You could always count on him year in, year out. Great work, high work ethic, high intelligent, high leadership guy. Without him, the team didn't run. Uh, you know, we had Kyle L, we had Rigsby, we had Fontenot, who were good, good players. But Sheehan was the, the cog in the entire wheel. Um, talk to me a little bit about what your future plans are with San Antonio, right? You, you've run into a little bit of a drop-off from three years ago. I want to say you were up around the 95-97 win. I mean, you looked solid. You had some injuries we've already talked about. You had a precipitous drop down into the 60s and 60s and 70s. That's a big drop. Yes, it is. What's the master plan look like for San Antonio going forward? Well, it's it's definitely time and for a uh, a major rebuild, I guess you could say. I've I've been fortunate enough to uh, go ahead and stack the Myers uh, with some solid, uh, very solid players. A couple good, a couple guys that look like they have superstar or star talent uh, written on them. But after this year, I can tell you there's going to be a lot of non-renewed contracts for older guys. Uh, it, it's time to go ahead and maybe bite the bullet for another year. Uh, because, like you say, I have been kind of hovering around an 80 win mark. I've been uh, going along with the approach. If I can just make it into the playoffs, who knows what will happen. So that's been the fundamental kind of idea for a while is to try to hang in and just pick your spots. Is that Pick your spots, hope that some of the guys come back from the last year and do as well as they did or hope some of the guys that had rough years pick it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I try to – I tend to be a, a lot of black and white um, – for a long time, uh, I looked at star ratings and, and thought, you know, just because he was a three-star guy, he should be, you know, very average. And when it doesn't always work out that way, uh, you know, you look at a guy, say, with a five contact. Well, if we look at ten being a star, you know, star, five should be at least average. It doesn't always work out that way. So there's been a lot of learning and, and head scratching along the way, and it just, you know, hasn't always worked out. So it's time to to reevaluate some of the things that I've been doing. I guess go ahead and kind of break it down a little again and try to build it back up into a little bit more solid foundation. So I think the San Antonio fans will like that approach. <laughs> <laughs> the days of trying to squeeze another year out of this guy or piecemeal, it's just not going to work now, especially with especially with you know, the guys like Ornelas and Ramirez gone. You don't have, uh, I don't look at my team now as having the good, solid foundation of three, four, five solid players up and down that you can count on. I I don't see that now. So it's just not going to work. I think at a time, at some point, you have to step back and kind of go, eh, it is time to go do things over again, even in my personal philosophy, (laughs) right? That's why I I keep talking to people and saying, you know, my goal is I'm going to win 95 games every year. Well, that's, yeah. that's the goal, right? And I'm going to make all my plans that way. But at a certain point when things go wrong, uh, if you don't actually decide, you know, things are going wrong here, then you don't have anything uh, anything to, to fall back on. Let me ask, uh, let me turn this around a little bit. Uh, it's sure. kind of traditional. If, if you'd like me to talk about anything, if you've got any questions for me, um, I'll be happy to 
to uh, field them and and at least pretend like <laughs> uh, like I have something of interest to say. Okay, number one, what can I do different? Well, now that's a conversation we can have <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> the best that you can do is trade me carpenter. Oh, that, would be, that guy? That would be a fantastic oh, deal for you. And I'm, I, was... I'm, I can give you a couple of guys, like I will give you 15 half-star guys, and those add up to seven and a half stars. How, you can't how, go wrong. How, why would you do something so, see, look, I was just going to cut Carpenter uh, after this year, but if you do that, I mean, that makes all I'm the sense. I'm a terrible world, guy, right? Mike. You can just ask anyone in the league who has viewed my trade practices and they will all tell you that I'm highly charitable. I, uh, I obviously got to stop drinking so heavy during the weekday. <laughs> uh, I guess that's really about it. Uh, you know, appreciate you having me on. There you go. I appreciate you being here. It's been fantastic to talk with you. Thank you, buddy. The Brewster Baseball Association is an out-of-the-park baseball league commissioned by Mr. America himself, Matt Rechtenwald, and competed in by 30 outstanding general managers. Check us out at MontyBrewster.net. You have been listening to The GM's Corner, a podcast where we put BBA GMs on the hot seat. Music is Cool Piano by Tigerius and is used under Creative Commons Attribution License. See you next time. Be safe, and always remember, even a boring team news is worth two points.